Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know the drill. Good optics are a must, whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season, or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope. Vortex Optics needs to be the first place you look. They got something for everybody, whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff, they got that too. They also have an unbeatable VIP warranty. If something happens to your Vortex Optic, you can send it in. They will fix it or replace it. Best warranty in the business, bar none. Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website MeadowCreekMounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is episode number six, so you might be wondering why this is episode number six and not episode number five. It is episode number six because episode number five, which is our first strut report, dropped on Thursday. So that's something we're going to do throughout turkey season. Uh, we got the strut report dropping every Thursday, so episode five was our first one, and we had Scott Ellis from South Florida, Cy Colley from Alabama, and Josh Watts from Mississippi giving us a couple updates on what turkeys are doing in their neck of the woods, what goblins looking like, strutting activity, how they're flocked up, you know, uh, food sources, all, all the stuff that you'd probably want to know before you were going to go out and scout or hunt in one of these areas. So that was episode five. Make sure to go check that out. And today on the show, we have a very special guest. But before we get to that guest, me and Jacob have a lot to talk about. Jacob, how you doing, my man? I'm doing excellent, man. How about yourself? I'm actually having a pretty good morning. <laughs> I know, especially since it uh, seems like you uh, were able to get on a goblin bird this morning doing a little preseason scouting. Yes, sir. I went to some public land close to where I live, and uh, I was running a little late getting out there, but I, I kind of hurried to where I was going and got pretty far back off the road and then eventually got to a spot where I was like, you know what, this sounds good, or this 
you know, it, it was kind of sheltered from the wind. I could hear better, so I was like, okay, let's try this. And uh, sure enough, man, I fired up the my alcohol and uh, had one gobble not too terribly far from me, so I kind of moved towards it, uh, trying to figure out where it was. And it kind of, it hardly even sounded like a gobble. I was like, I think that was a gobble, but I don't, I want to hear another one. <laughs> so I like went down there closer and hooted at it again. And sure enough, man, big old turkey roosted up there. I think I, I ended up accidentally getting real close to it, but I didn't spook it or anything. I just sat down and waited for it to pitch down and move off before I did anything. But he gobbled five times on the roost. And he had he he had one of those barnyard gobbles, you know. It sounds all goofy. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's on the Facebook and Instagram page if y'all want to go check it out. But that's been the extent of my turkey scouting in the last week. Have you uh, you done any turkey scouting, Jacob? In negative. Uh, I'm currently right now in Arkansas visiting my youngest brother, and uh, he's in school up here. And uh, on the way here, found some awesome looking uh public land on the drive up using on x which is pretty cool just driving through and on the highway uh coming up east uh arkansas found you know some areas that you know i've driven this road for over 10 years now and i always thought this was like you know some private land or hunting club or something like that and i was like you know let me get on onyx real quick while i'm driving uh and just check it out and see what it is turns out it was two huge management areas and a ginormous refuge um that ran right there. I did not realize that was there and it was pretty awesome. But, uh, other than that, no, I've not been able to get out in uh, Turkey scouts since last time you and me went out, uh, which is about almost two weeks ago. So hopefully I'll be able to get out, but I fly out to North Carolina, uh, for this new job, uh, Tuesday afternoon. So right after this episode drops, I'll be out there and I'll be traveling the, uh, Eastern United States for about 60 to 90 days. Uh, so we'll see if I get some Turkey hunting in, but I doubt it. That's going to be some late season stuff in uh, one of the northern states. Hey, man, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> I, I, I already told you that. So me and Andrew talked about this earlier, that uh, it'd be kind of cool if I, depending on what state I'm in, uh, if I'm there for more than two weeks, I'm probably going to run down, and if the season's open, I'm going to run down to a pawn shop, buy a old Remington 870, give me a choke, some shells, and some Walmart camouflage, and go kill some turkeys. Because <laughs> I'm taking my calls with me, man. They're flying with me. That's so, right. Uh, I'm like, I don't want to jump through all the hoops flying with my shotgun, but uh, I'll buy a shotgun on the way there if I need to. And uh, that'd be kind of cool to bring on the episode if I can kill a bird on some public land in another state at a last minute, you know, buy all your gear kind of hunt. <laughs> yeah, man. That would be a pretty cool story. So speaking of all this, uh, for those of you who did listen to the Strut Report on Thursday, I have a pretty special little announcement that we are doing a giveaway with Onyx Maps. So I'm going to let Jacob dive into that, but I alluded to it in the Strut Report, and so here's the details of how you can win and exactly what it is that you can win from them. Jacob, take it away. Yes, sir. All right, so guys, y'all heard about us on the last couple of episodes. We've talked about, you know, Onyx and how they've helped us, uh, you know, become you know more successful in public land and be able to find animals, deer, turkeys, and stuff like that and when it comes to scouting and you know, their product is, you know, second to none, as in the quality and everything they give you option-wise, and also their price point. Well, they've been have, they've been generous, generous enough to uh, allow us to do a giveaway with some of their products. And on this week's episode, we're going to give away three premium memberships through Onyx, which allows you to purchase whichever state, or I'm sorry, use whatever state you'd like uh, with the app. 
and uh, be able to get on there and, you know, your home state, you'll be able to use their product. And it's going to be a really awesome membership. Uh, it's about $30 giveaway uh, per membership. We're going to give away three of them on this week's episode. And how we're going to do that is, you guys, we're going to do a post on Instagram and Facebook. Like one of the posts and then follow us also on the page, on the Facebook page, and then just share the post. And that's going to put you in the drawing. We're we'll do a random drawing with three guys or three individuals. Hey, if any of the ladies want to come out and uh, get some Onyx, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, but anyways, this, this, <laughs> this guys, is a, a great opportunity for y'all to add something to y'all's uh, gear list to really be able to help you be more successful, especially in this off-season in scouting. Uh, this is really going to help y'all out. So for sure, again, all you got to do is like the Instagram or Facebook post, share that post, and then follow us on Facebook, and then you're in for the drawing. And then we'll do that drawing uh, this following or this Saturday, uh, we'll do the drawing and then announce it on Monday. So this next week's episode. That's right. So yeah, the contest will end uh, Saturday night. Let's just say at eleven o'clock Saturday night, and we'll uh, figure out who won on Sunday, and then we will announce it on next week's episode, or the, and we'll announce the three winners because there's actually three winners. So whoever y'all are, <laughs> y'all got to put in to win so well another thing so onyx has been very generous and it actually gave us a total of five memberships so we're doing three on this week's episode and then the following week's episode we're going to give away two more and one of those is going to be an elite membership where you can get all 50 states uh all 50 states on their uh their maps and be able to use it across the board which is personally what me and andrew use and if you hunt outside uh outside of your home state that's what you need to be you know successful when it comes to public land i mean you gain at least 10 years of knowledge uh, of property boundaries and just how to hunt these areas with their mapping system. Uh, so look look out for that for next week's episode. But again, guys, just, uh, again, like, subscribe, and then also share a post, and uh, we will definitely get y'all uh, hopefully a membership, three of y'all for this week. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited to give it away. And I know several of y'all who listen to this who, like, have personally talked about Onyx. So... Here's y'all's chance if you want to get it without having to pay 30 bucks for your state. Uh, put in for the drawing, and we'll announce it next week. But with that being said, Jacob, let's talk about who we interviewed. Okay, awesome. So we interviewed Ocuz Strickland uh, from, from Mossy Oak. And I will tell you, this gentleman is probably one of the most genuine per- uh, people I've ever met. Uh, we met him at the NWTF uh, convention, had a blast talking to him. He was very, very generous to help us out and just wanted to do a podcast with us. And uh, Andrew was not able to make for that interview, uh, so I did a solo interview with Cuz. And I will tell you right now, it was life-changing. What he brought to the table, not just his background, but his personality too and his how truly genuine he is really, you know, touched me in my, you know, outdoorsman uh side i mean he's a great person first of all brought a lot of great knowledge to what we were looking for uh, and i think a lot of the listeners are going to be looking for and i mean it turns out he is just a cool cool guy that you know is still in touch with you know all other individuals in the outdoor industry when it comes to someone just starting out you know young kids and stuff like that to veterans everybody can connect with him and uh learn something from this gentleman so again coach strickland is an awesome guy and i'm excited for y'all to listen to this podcast because it is it's it was my favorite probably so far. I mean, we had a blast talking, and I think we talked for almost two and a half hours and recorded about an hour and a half of it. And, I mean, we could have kept going, but, you know, trying to respect his time and y'all's time, kind of cut it a little short, but definitely we'll have him on, uh, have him on later this uh, season. 
Yeah, man, I'm, I hate that I couldn't make it on for this one, but listening to it, man, I, I really enjoyed it because Cuz is a guy in the hunting industry that, you know, he's one of the few people in the hunting industry that you can still look up to because, uh, like you said, he's a real genuine guy who cares about good things, you know, has a good message, and a lot of people can relate to him. You know, even though, you know, now he's probably hunting a lot of better properties than, than what we do, he's still a guy that spent a lot of time hunting public land, you know, when he was younger, and, you know, he's still spent a tremendous amount of time in front of a wild turkey. So he really knows he really knows his way around the turkey woods, you know, and y'all talk about a little bit of everything from turkey hunting to hunter recruitment to just conservation in general, and it's just a, a cool all-around conversation that I had a lot of fun listening to, and I, I hate that I missed it, but man, I had I had fun editing it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, for you guys, oh, y'all can hear the bells now going off at the church next to me. But uh, anyways, <laughs> for any of you true outdoorsmen, whether you're from the South or wherever, you're going to pick up a lot of information from this that you're going to be able to carry throughout your life. Uh, when Again, when it comes to hunter recruitment, and that's also some of his techniques and everything he talks about across the board will pretty much work anywhere. Uh, so this is something that will definitely, you know, pretty much everyone out there listening is going to be able to get something from this podcast and apply it to wherever you're hunting and also just your daily life too. Um, so it's absolutely, a, I think a great podcast. I think you're all going to love it and, uh, definitely, you know, give us feedback on it and also make sure y'all go and, you know, subscribe, you know, to iTunes, Stitcher or the website and also just leave us a review. Let us know, uh, what you think of the podcast so far and, you know, whether there's some stuff we can work on or what we're doing right. And, you know, we'll definitely look at that and we love, uh, you know, some criticism when it comes to, you know, building us up and figuring out what we need to do to uh, make this podcast even better than what it is. Yep, and I will say, you know, if y'all ever want to reach out to us for anything, go ahead. And I will go ahead and give my buddy Will Kissinger a shout-out because he did just that. And, you know, we got on the phone and we talked for probably an hour just about turkey hunting. Me and him, uh, well, where I used to live, uh, we lived pretty close to each other. And I hunted a local management area, and he's wanting to hunt there too. And so he called me, and I was happy to give him a couple pointers. And Will... If you're listening to this, hopefully we can uh, meet up pretty soon and go scout some turkeys. But you know, spring will be or uh, March fifteenth will be here before we know it. So that goes for the rest of y'all too, man. If anybody ever wants to reach out to us with a question, a suggestion, or a criticism, shoot, we're always here to listen. So, Jacob. All right. Well, I think on that note, I think we'll turn it over to uh, the interview, and I'll let y'all enjoy this. Okay. All right, and here is that pre-recorded interview with Mr. Cuz Strickland. All right, guys, welcome to the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Uh, today I'm running solo. Andrew's at work right now, so I have a solo interview today. It's going to be a blast, though. And today we have uh, Mr. Ronnie Cuz Strickland on the phone. And again, a lot of guys look up to Mr. Cuz just because of his background in uh, turkey hunting, and it's been with, associated with Mossy Oak for so long. And again, Mr. Cuz, how are you doing today? I'm good. You need to drop that mister or I'm going to hang this phone up. This <laughs> yes, sir. All right, cuz, man. <laughs> well, I'm glad you uh, made a little time for us this morning to do this podcast. I'm actually absolutely excited about it, as you probably can tell. And, uh, you know, today, you know, let's give you a little bit, a little bit of a background of yourself for any listeners that might not know about cuz himself. Well, you know, the way I got into the business, I was working in a sporting goods store in Natchez, Mississippi. That's kind of in the 
southwest corner, and uh, I was selling calls that Will Primos at the time was making himself. He didn't have he had a true double and a true triple, if I remember right. But anyway, the the first camcorder that came out came into a Sears and Roebuck store there in Natchez, and one of my buddies bought it. And we immediately camoed that thing up and we're filming turkey hunts with it and i would send these videos of horrible videos of these turkey hunts to will and say man your true double's the best call ever you know here check this out he kind of he actually showed up down there one day with a giant video camera rig he'd bought from a tv station and uh, long story short I, i shot i figured that thing out and shot with it most of that spring we ended up making you know, what's kind of become a cult following, and that's the truth video series. And uh, not long after that, I went to work for Toxie at Mossy Oak. I actually worked for, uh, I went to work for Toxie like in 1988. He incorporated in 87. And uh, I went to work for him in 88. And uh, it's been quite the ride to be able to see the industry transform from what it was back then what it is right now and it's uh it's been amazing to see that oh yeah for sure and another thing just your background in just the hunting industry is absolutely legendary i mean everybody seems to know about you one way or the other even guys that don't turkey hunt you know they've heard of cuz so i absolutely love that (laughs) and again i'm glad you know we were able to reach out to you and make this happen now with that being said, what is your season looking like this uh, spring? Like, what states you're going to be hunting, and then uh, what parts of the country and time frame for that? Well, as far as hunting goes, I probably won't do any hunting. All, my, my turkey season consists of taking people, and it's been like that for decades. But that's the cool thing about turkey hunting. There's a lot of cool things about turkey hunting. Number, number one being, you don't score them. You know, if it's a, a two-year-old turkey or whatever, full fan you know it's on that's one of the coolest things about turkey hunting because i don't uh i don't know that scorn's necessarily a good thing but anyway the other thing is seems like you're always with somebody you know it's so much fun if you're a teacher at heart it's so much fun to take people and explain things to them because i can tell you from on the outside looking in if you go to somebody that's never hunted much less turkey hunted and you explain turkey hunt to them, it's, it's usually comical. They kind of think it's funny. And uh, in reality, it's, it's probably the most epic hunt on the planet, as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, to me, it's better than Africa. It's better than Red Stag. It's better than all that stuff for a lot of reasons. So, you know, I love to take people, introduce them to that. But my season is going to start the first Saturday in March way down there south of Lake Okeechobee. We're having back-to-back hunts with uh, wounded veterans. We've been doing that for a long time. Keith Kelly, who runs DDOT up near Jacksonville, got involved with some landowners down there who just want to bring soldiers. They have great private land, and that's what they want. They're not outfitters, and they just entertain soldiers, and I try to do that every season, six at a time, and Hey, you're only reaching a dozen or so at a time, but at least you're not doing anything. And it's fun to open your season up where it opens first. And uh, anyway, I'll do that. I'll go back to uh, Mississippi. The U season opens here, like, I think it's March the 8th or 9th. 
and uh, I got three grandsons that love it. But the main objective this year is the littlest one. His name's Ben, aka Cranky. He's the <laughs> only one that had got a turkey, so we're we're focusing all our effort on Cranky this year. He's got I got him a little four ten, cut three inches off the barrel, two inches off the stock, got a double extra full Jeb's choke in it and some TSS 410 shot and I'm telling you at 35 yards it is it is unbelievable so and Cranky likes to shoot it he's a little bitty guy but he <laughs> loves that guy and he shot that one and he looked up at me and said Pop this is the one so we got Cranky ready to go and from there I'll go actually I'll go back to Florida and do some, do some, cu- some customer stuff and then you know on back to uh, Mississippi for the opening of the regular season and then uh, doing uh, Tennessee and Georgia and Texas and I'll end up in Nebraska in the early part of May and there'll be a lot of stuff in between there. Uh, Lots going on for sure. Well, that's awesome. Now, one thing that you said that definitely uh, me and Andrew are passionate about when it comes to turkey hunting, again, I'm a huge deer hunter, but with deer hunting, there's always seems to be just a little bit of drama. You know, it's all about the score, and it's really ruined it for a lot of us average guys that, you know, give you a quick example. You know, if you're deer hunting, we talked about this in our last episode. If you're deer hunting and, you know, say where you're hunting, you know, 120-inch deer is a big deer, and you shoot that, it's really not that big of a deal to a lot of people just because, you know, guys are killing, you know, in certain parts of the country, you know, 180-plus-inch deer. And it's really kind of, I think, hurt the average guy to the point where, you know, he doesn't feel proud anymore, uh, you know, harvesting just a decent deer from where he lives. And that's one thing I love about turkey hunting. It's so much more laid back. You know, guys congratulate you. I mean, if you get a Jake, I mean, a guy still congratulates you on that. And, you know, it's not going to tell you about, oh, you should have let it walk most of the time. I mean, there are guys out there, but, or, you know, just shoot like, you know, like you said, like a two-year-old bird, a three-year-old bird. You know, a lot of guys are just like, just happy for you. And it's a lot to me, you get there's a lot better experience associated with turkey hunting, I believe. You know, the camaraderie uh, with the guys, like you said, you know, hunting with a group of guys is always a blast. And it's, to me, it's a lot more laid back. And another thing, I think a lot of guys associate, you know, turkey hunting uh, in the South kind of like, uh, you know, the elk of the West. You know, it's a very active game. Uh, it's all about that chase and, you know, try to get in close, uh, whether you're using shotgun or archery equipment. So I absolutely love the challenge of it. Again, just being new to turkey hunting, I still love it and, you know, have a blast doing it. But with that being said, uh, you know, one thing we'd like to talk to you about is, you know, how you quote unquote take the temperature of a turkey uh, when you find one, whether he's on the roost, uh, whether you visually see him or just hearing his vocalizations and how to know how to react to that bird. Uh, whether it's a bird, you should wait until later to try to get in close to him, whether he's hinned up or whether or not you need to try to make a move on him. Well, you know, as far as taking their temp, that's one of the phrases that Will Primo's coined way back in the day. And there's a lot of them from back in the day, MRI, Yelp marks, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, there's so so many years went into trying to figure out, you know, what you should do, still make mistakes. I get humbled every year. But I'm going to give you a quick example. I was, I took many, many years ago, I took like, this guy was like the, uh, the publisher of Field and Stream, which back in the day it was all printed magazines. That's the way we did media. We didn't have the internet or Instagram or Facebook or any of that, and up TV as far as hunting shows. Anyway, this guy had the first set of what I called action ears. They were 
like headphones you put on, super sensitive microphones. It was a prototype. And I was sitting with him down near one of my spots in Mississippi, and I had heard two turkeys gobble a couple of times each, maybe 300 yards apart. I was facing them, and they weren't saying much. It was just breaking day good, and he lifted. He had that thing on. He lifted. He said, you want to listen through these? And I said, sure. And I put those prototype really giant super sensitive microphones on and i could hear like 15 or 20 different hens mm. tree yelping and clucking and i didn't know they were there well that changed my mindset then i was like wow man i didn't i didn't know that they had that many hens around them i need to get my i need to get my name in the hat a little bit mm-hmm. uh so there, the temperature of the gobbler wasn't that much i mean he would both of them would gobble every you know three or four minutes kind of typical but the reason they weren't gobbling much is because they were totally surrounded by hens and you know old time guys real old timers and a lot of people to this day will tell you you never ever call to a turkey while it's in the tree which makes absolutely no sense to me for a couple of reasons uh and i ain't talking about doing a lot of aggressive calling but that like that morning, there was two gobblers 300 yards apart on this creek, and there was hens yipping on both sides of the creek. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to call a little bit. If that turkey answers, well, maybe I've got him turned toward me now, depending on which way he was facing on the limb. Maybe one of those hens that are dominant herd me didn't like that. Maybe she'll pitch down and get fired up to show, you know, just to shut me up. There's so much going on right there. It's like, it, it makes no sense to me just to sit there and not do anything. I've gotten in a good position. Nobody knows I'm there. There's a lot going on. They're doing the same thing they've been doing for however many mornings, weeks. And it's always, to me, it was always good to get my name in the hat. Now, I did do a bunch of calling. I tree up a little bit yipped again and finally got it you know enough volume to both of the turkeys gobbled at it and then i kind of shut up i wasn't sitting on the ground cackling and cutting and doing contest calls i wanted a response to know hey there's one on the ground already over there one about to pitch down maybe i can get these turkeys to fly down this way so mm-hmm. you know there's all kinds of temperatures to take one morning i went with uh, a guy named larry norton back when they won the world turkey that we had the world turkey calling not the grand national we were hosting the world turkey calling contest which was a big deal and larry norton won it back to back 1990 1991 when and was truly as good of a caller as i've ever heard so i was going to take him and video him and we came up to a spot up here near me and now i'm in northeast mississippi and it was late, late, late in the season. I didn't have a lot of hope, to be honest with you. It's late, you know, it gets warm. They've already done their thing. And when we pull up to the gate there in the pitch black, and I hear a turkey gobbling his brains out <laughs> in the dark. And we ease down in there. This turkey's consistently gobbling every minute and a half, every two minutes, sometimes more. And we sit down, and Larry Norton, who just won his second world titles in front of me, about 15 yards i'm behind him with that great big video camera the giant beta cams like we used to have i ain't calling because i mean hey man i got the world champ in front of me and he never calls and this turkey is just choking himself and i i I let him know two or three times larry i got enough light i'm good to go 
he still never calls. Uh, about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes into this set, over to my right, about 150 yards away, a hen flew down. She didn't do a, a long machine gun fly down cackle, just a couple of quick. Bah, bah, bah. This turkey gobbled like three times, <laughs> pitched and went straight to her and walked off. Mm. And I remember, I remember thinking that guy was the, he sounded so much like a turkey. It was insane. And had he made any sound at all, that turkey would have pitched down and landed right in front of us. I'm convinced of that. Because mm-hmm. that turkey was so hot, he couldn't stand it. He realized that turkey knew it was late in the year. Most of the hens are on the nest. It's about over with. So his temperature was boiling hot. But in Larry's mind, being old school, bless his heart, he's like, I ain't calling to him until they get on the ground. So, you know, my point being, there are no absolutes. You just kind of got to feel your way through that. Okay. Well, I mean, with that being said, we've, uh, I've definitely experienced something like that. Uh, the person that introduced me to turkey hunting was my uncle and, you know, we'd have similar mindsets where, you know, sometimes you wouldn't call to him while they're in the tree and just, and, you know, sometimes we would, it was just, you know, different situations. But, uh, I mean, that does make, you know, absolutely no sense why you wouldn't at least do some tree yelps or something at that bird while he's in the tree, just to get his attention just a little bit. So he understands that there's a, there's a hen in, you know, your direction and maybe he'll come down and pitch down to you. But again, uh, another thing we'd like to talk about is just when you're say, especially like hunting a roost, like you, you locate where some birds are, you go in that next, that next morning, whatever, and you're setting up, what is your ideal setup as in, you know, when you're on the ground sitting down, I mean, are you a, do you like a ground blind and, or just sitting on the ground on the tree? And if you're sitting in a, on the ground, uh, you know, what kind of back cover do you like or what kind of cover do you like around you? Uh, so the, first of all, the birds aren't going to see you, but also so the birds don't get hung up by not seeing, uh, you know, a hen or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to get to all that. No, I don't, the only time I would ever even think about using a ground blind for turkeys is with a kid or maybe a wounded vet that, you know, it's like in a wheelchair or some kind of vehicle, something like that. I mm-hmm. just, I believe in tricking them fair and square and how to set up is kind of becoming a dying art Mm -hmm. because of ground blinds and decoys and all that but my to me i first off the the year i did the first tape for will primos the original truth i think there was like i don't remember 15 hunts on there or something like that which was an epic deal back then there weren't any turkey videos wasn't but three or four deer things out but anyway i kept a little journal and it wasn't about what was going on with the turkeys is more about keeping up where I was and and my gas mileage. But (laughs) as I expanded the journal, I just wrote down what happened. And I looked back at that journal not long ago and I say it was 15 or 16 hunts. I think three of them were like successful off the roost where you had that perfect, you know, heard him gobble, went, sat down, uh, made a tree at whatever. And they flew down, came in three of the 16, and I think that's a pretty good average over my lifetime of hunting turkeys. It doesn't, especially early in the year, it doesn't often happen. It takes a lot of luck. Number one, whatever they're doing that day is the same thing they've been doing for weeks before that. Unless you've been tipping in there and watching which way they go, the chances you sitting in the perfect place, uh, one in four about. So anyway, my, 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 my perfect setup is one that I can get close enough without disturbing the turkeys. If I'm 1,000% sure that nothing has heard me or nothing has seen me, 
I'm in the right place because I, you know, in my mind, I know I've got at best a 50 50 shot of getting that gobbler up because there's probably going to be hens. Now, this is, you know, first couple of weeks of the season. So the number one thing is to get in close enough to be heard without being detected. You know, one of the best turkey hunters on the planet is a guy named Bob Walker who guides at Bent Creek. He was one of the original turkey thugs. And to this day, I don't think I've ever seen him set up on a turkey and just still on the roost. He always lays way back and gets a sense of direction they're going after they fly down. That's just his style. Like it or, you know, it would drive you crazy if you're used to doing things by the book. But the number one, I think, mistake people make is is getting too close to them, you know, because you got to stop and think, how number one, how good a turkey can see, and number two, how good he could hear. Just say if you had, you know, 50 times the eyesight you got now or 50 times better hearing, and you were perched, you know, 140 feet up in a giant pine or whatever kind of tree you're in, how much you could see and hear from that position. So you got to stop and think, man, that guy's like in a radio tower way up there. You got to really be stealthy to get in there undetected and unheard. So, uh, you know, the, the main thing I need is a little, a little back cover. Sometimes you can't see it when it's pitch black. So that's why, you know, they used to say, get a tree that's wider than your back. The first turkey hunting book I ever read, I don't remember who wrote it, but there was, there was some how-to stuff in there, and that was like the first thing. Find a tree wider than you are. So the next time I went turkey hunting, man, I heard, you know, whatever it was, and I, I, I started searching for a tree that was wider than me. Well, heck, I was 600 yards from the turkey mm-hmm. by the time I found a tree that was wider than me. So if you can find one that does wider than you, that's cool because it's early. You ain't got time to really think a lot, but back, back cover – you know, what's behind you is way, way more important than what's in front of you. But the ideal setup early in the morning is one where you were undetected. Okay. Well, with that being said, I, I've definitely experienced uh, something similar to that. And, you know, one, we had a, me and Andrew had an awesome hunt last year where we got on three uh, birds. Uh, two of them roosted and one came in a little bit after that, flew down from another roost uh, across the gas line. But, again, we both hunt central Alabama, uh, hunting a lot of public land, and it's a lot of you know, pine plantation, I'm gonna call them pine plantations, you know, rotated uh, pines of different ages. And it's hard, I'm telling you, it is hard to find a tree in a thousand acres of 15 year old pines that's, you know, wider than you. Uh, Me, you know, I'm not a small guy, um, about five, nine, 220 pounds. And, you know, finding any kind of tree to sit on where my shoulders aren't sitting off the sides is pretty tough. But, you know, one thing we thought about doing is just, you know, kind of going in there if you can figure out a couple areas and maybe set up uh just find some more like the uh we have a lot of privet hedge around here and set up where you can find some privet hedge on your back uh, i think would help out a ton at least for us in our area and i mean that's you know something that we definitely have thought about a lot now with the birds if you're you know not necessarily targeting them off the roost uh, your go plan when you take some guys out hunting, are y'all trying to target them once they hit the ground and then reposition? Or are you just trying to get it where once they hit the ground, they're hopefully going to work your way? Oh, no. I, I, you know, for me, the favorite, one of the most blessed part of turkey hunting is hearing them on the roost. So I always want to, I want to have a roost hunt if possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, for a bunch of reasons, you know, that's where you, 
you hear the red bird crank up and you see the sun starting. That's all very special, but you also get a little MRI on which way they're going. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and over call trying to get him to come to me. I, again, you're taking his temp and all that, but yes, I'll take somebody turkey hunting. I want them to have the full experience and explain to them why they roost, where they roosted. You know, they're, they may be over water or something like that, but no, I'm going in with the idea of listening from a great spot, usually a very high point, depending on where I'm at, and uh, trying to get, you know, as close as I can to one. Because I'm, my goal is to get him right off the roost. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you, sometimes you get lucky. You know, I spend so much time in new areas that I'm not familiar with, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good to hunt all day if the wind's not blowing. You know, or just raining or something like that. So mm-hmm. yes, my, my goal is to be sitting down on one that's still in the tree. Okay. Now, do you hunt ever any piece of property, uh, whether you're taking somebody hunting or however the situation is? that may have a little bit more pressure than other areas or do you have any tips on how to hunt pressured birds especially after that first you know week and a half of season when guys are really getting out there pounding hard whether you know you're hunting on say you know the average guys hunting on a lease with some buddies or you know they're hunting on a club with some other guys hunting or just guys hunting public land you know how what's a good tactic for uh you know high pressured birds yeah well i grew up hunting in the home of national forest Sandy Creek Wildlife Refuge. It doesn't get any worse than that, mm-hmm. as far as as far as pressure, because that I mean, just geographically where it's located, it was easy to get to for out of state people and stuff. And I'm not saying 35, 40 years ago it was loaded with turkey hunters, but there might be, I don't know, eight or ten on fifteen thousand acres, but they were pretty much there every day, and then as turkey hunting got more popular that increased and i can literally remember laying in my roosting a couple of i roosted a turkey one afternoon it i actually got to see him cross sandy creek way down in front of me and i I saw and heard where he flew up it was a gobbler and and just absolutely snuck out of there and i laid in the bed and could not go to sleep trying to decide if i would call to that turkey at all much less on the roost because i knew if i yelled to that turkey he's gonna shut up that's what they do on public ground mm-hmm. especially like two weeks in so i, I just I, I finally figured out later on in life that i was way more effective out there on sandy creek in the afternoons than i was in the morning uh you know from like that one two-ish o'clock to three or four o'clock i seemed to have more luck out there then I guess because the woods had quiet down and most of the people had left and uh, pressure is just pressure same way on deer they, they pattern you they they once they start getting spooked and hearing things and seeing things they change the way they act just like deer do so mm-hmm. you know heavily hunted ground I mean you hear uh, stuff all the time it's just cliche like well tried to use a call they're not using like if that guy's using a box call or use a slate or if he's using a slate they're, to me that really doesn't make that much sense because uh, here's my thought on killing turkeys especially pressured turkeys that have other guys hunting I think they have windows of opportunity that open and close mm-hmm. and it's the closer you get to mid morning and mid afternoon the more those windows open as the season moves around those hens they'll fly down they may breed boom they're off to their nest 
And all of a sudden, he's strutting around looking at himself, and he looks around. Well, hell, I had 13 hands. Now there's two. Mm-hmm. And, and they're easing away. So as the day wears on, those windows open more than they do right out of the gate, right off the roost, because they're, they're still probably roosted close together. So those mid-morning to 2, 3 o'clock, to me, that's the magic time, especially on public ground. And I couldn't agree with you any more with that statement just because the uh, last couple of years I predominantly focused more on public land than private uh, just because of the opportunity to hunt you know, a lot bigger piece of property and be able to chase birds a lot farther. And I've, I've noticed that a lot that, you know, if you can locate where they are in the morning, you know, maybe try to go in there and make it happen. If not, kind of relocate that afternoon, you know, surrounding area and try to figure out possibly where some of these birds are strutting. You can really get in there on those birds when they're, you know, they might not have any hens around, especially a couple of weeks after season. And, uh, you know, the hens are already starting to nest and you really could have a, you know, a great opportunity. And actually we had a buddy that did that last year on some public piece and had that happen where he was able to kill one, you know, mid afternoon. And like you said, not a lot of guys are hunting mid afternoon. They're trying to hunt, you know, either right before work on the weekdays, you know, up until maybe eight o'clock or so and try to get out of there or on the weekends, you'll, they'll hunt up to about noon, give or take, and they'll pretty much turn in for the evening or for the afternoon. So I definitely think that's a good topic for a lot of the, you know, this, these average, all of our listeners, you know, those average guys, you know, this hunting properties that they have, you know, highly pressured birds, especially after the season starts and just be able to get in there and kind of work those birds, you know, in a smart fashion, but be able to find them in the afternoons. I think they'll be a lot more successful. Yeah. And yeah, no doubt. And, you know, going to them from different directions, if you got a good, it's like at Sandy Creek out there or wherever. There's main roads that cut through there, and everybody that comes through there, you can go out there a week or 10 days before the season, get to a high point, you can hear those trucks stop, pull to the side, throw out, move on. Mm-hmm. And they're all they're all doing it from the same areas. So, you know, if you can get to an area and, like, go with that turkey from the back, I see them. I don't know if I could access them. They're all out there on that middle road, and they're facing south. Mm-hmm. where that turkey is i wonder if i could go way south of that turkey and look back north and ease in that way it's hunting public land's different i do it a lot i do it a lot deer hunting just because i want i want that challenge on people to be able to relate to what we're doing uh you know anybody can go to texas on a ten thousand dollar deer hunt and kill a 170 inch deer mm-hmm. that, that ain't about hunting that's about money uh, same way with turkeys. There's, I mean, anybody can go to a private spot in the hill country of Texas and kill three turkeys and go home in the same day if they used to could. But if you really want to cut your teeth, if you want to become a turkey thug, you hunt them on public ground in the southeast. You'll either quit doing it or you'll get really good at it because you're going to develop really good low-impact skills. And that's what I think. Like the guys at Bent Creek Lodge, Bob Walker, Flat Gidding Gardner, Mr. Bedwell, who they call the butcher. Some of those guys I learned from, one thing they all had in common was really good low-impact skills where they didn't bump many turkeys. And uh, although they were hunting private land, they hunted that same chunk of woods every day with clients. Mm-hmm. Well, that's no that's no different than hunting public land. They got to go in there every day, every day, every day. And it, the better your low-impact skills get, the better turkey hunter you are. That's one reason Toxie Hayes is so good at it. He's a fanatic about noise and will park and walk forever 
to get to a spot to keep from alarming things. So it's a uh, public hunting is kind of a state of mind. I mean, if the turkeys are in there, you just kind of got to get your game up to that double A level, triple A level to get them in there and get them out. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that's kind of interesting uh, talking about, you know, guys is, you know, accessing it all from the same location. You know, they're all coming off these main roads and stuff. We had a couple of situations last year where, uh, right before season, we located a bird that was really, I mean, he was roosted with some hens not farther than 200 yards off a main road. And uh, we were able to get back in there and, you know, record him, videotape him, found out his roost trees and everything. We were going to come kill him opening day. Well, we get in there opening day. I'm sorry, we get in the day before opening day just to check he was in there. And uh, he was gobbling everything. Everything was all situated. It was perfect. All of a sudden, a truck drives down that road. And I mean, parks 300 yards from us and starts owl hooting. And before that truck came, this bird, or this gobbler was uh, owl hooting at an owl across the creek from us. And uh, he heard that truck. Truck turns off. Guy waits a couple minutes and then owl hoots. And that bird did not say anything. He just shut up and just sat there until that guy drove off. About five minutes later, then he'd fire up again. And I'm like, that that, that made me think. I'm like, we can't be doing this anymore off the road because we started doing that a little bit and wasn't having any luck. I'm like, you got to you know, get dedicated enough to you know have the faith to walk in there and try to find those birds on, fi- on foot and uh, make it happen. In another situation, uh, we had that happen again. We got on some birds last year uh, that were just gobbling their heads off, and something similar happened. A guy came down the road, and this time we were a little farther away, and he started owl hooting from the road, and the birds were between us and that guy. And the uh, second that guy, started, that guy started hooting, uh, you know, the birds had shut up again. And, uh, you know, again, he drove off, and then they fired back up. And, again, they were kind of, they were, you know, more interested in us. And, again, we were on that back side where nobody really was. And uh, just had to make a, you know, really wide circle to get on them. So I think that's a really good topic is this, uh, you know, think outside the box on entry and exit routes. Kind of like you would do with deer. Uh, just get in there clean, get in there, you know, nice and quiet, and try to work those birds from a different area or different uh, direction that they're not used to being worked from. Uh, that's great advice. And, again, there's never any absolutes. You know, I've, I've seen turkeys that have got hung up on one strand of bob wire that was six inches off the ground and wouldn't cross it. And I saw one fly the Black Warrior River from 300 yards away and land right in front of us. It's, they're individual, just like we are. But mm-hmm. uh, on, on public land, you kind of got to go that extra mile. And you're right. They, they get they get accustomed to those trucks stopping and people howling, blowing and crowing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you got to... You kind of got to up your game on those public turkeys. There's no question about that. Oh, oh I totally agree with that. And another thing, uh, one of our our, our co-hosts, uh, Andrew Maxwell, he was hunting the same uh, piece of public uh, parcel that we're talking about right now. And, uh, he was hunting, had a bird that was roosted right off a uh, uh, gas well. Uh, this piece of property has a lot of natural gas, and, you know, they have these pump wells on it. And there's a lot of, you know, these small gravel roads that are gated on it. Well, Andrew came in a different way where he never really touched one of those roads and just kind of snuck his way in there and got on this roosted bird from about 100 yards or so. And he was firing off and everything. And then all of a sudden, he could hear the uh, gravel road is probably no more than a couple hundred yards from him, but he could hear someone walking down that road just crunching gravel like real quickly like he was moving towards his bird. And then the, the bird heard it and just shut up again. And the guy kept, just like walked past. He could hear him walk past and like walked up the hill. And then after about 15, 20 minutes, the bird fired off again. Uh, so that it shows, you know, and that was, I think third week of season, it shows that these birds, especially on public lane, really do change their patterns on, uh, hunting pressure. I mean, it's unreal, uh, what can happen just after a couple guys go in there and these birds figure out what's going down. Well, 
I try to explain to people the difference in quiet and turkey quiet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. While you're in the woods, Tom Kelly, God bless him. He, uh, in one of the passages in one of his books, he's talking about you almost have to turn your whole body into an ear when you're trying to hear turkeys. And I'll give you an example. If somebody that doesn't turkey hunt, especially in the southeast, God bless them, people up in New York, Pennsylvania, they learn it and all that stuff too. But I had two guests down here in Alabama, down there kind of south of Livingston. And they were with one of the giant box stores. I don't remember which one, but they were. We were on this power line, and it wasn't. It was a little bit of crunched gravel there. It wasn't really a gravel thing, but it was. You know, it was like red clay road or something with some little pea gravel. And we were standing there way before daylight on the highest point. And this particular day it was opening day, and my wife and youngest daughter were hunting at a little piece of land I'd bought up near Meridian. And I was so disappointed I wasn't going to be with him because I had two or three turkeys there. So I was kind of, I was not in the best of moods anyway. But anyway, I was sitting there and I was struggling to hear way down that power line because I was facing north and there was a tiny little light breeze from the north. So I was just standing there. And those guys were back there and they weren't, they were kind of whispering real quiet, but they were shuffling their feet. And I turned around and kind of put my one index finger over my lip to let's, you know, be quiet. And turn back around, and in 10 seconds, they were moving around again. Mm-hmm. And I eased back there and said, guys, y'all got to really be quiet. And they got real agitated, like, dude, you know, what are you trying to prove? We are being quiet. I said, no, you're, you're, you are kind of being quiet, but I said, you got to stand still. Because I, all I can hear is your feet shuffling in that, that, that road right there, back and forth. And they thought I was like, picking on them or being a smart aleck or something but it's like there's a real big difference in being quiet turkey quiet not only when you stand there listening but when you're easing through the woods hunting it's uh you know that's why i think i've had so much tr- uh, uh luck locating turkeys when i'm cutting and running or whatever you want to call with that tube call because generally i can make them gobble some f- from such a far distance that I can then concentrate on getting in, mm-hmm. you know, and not making a bunch of noise. It's hard to constantly walk through the woods and not, you know, make a little racket. But the further you can stay away from them and locate them, the better it is. But, yeah, being turkey quiet, the best thing I can tell you is just is like the passage in Tom Kelly's books, just turn your whole body into an ear because that's what the turkey's hearing. You know, if you're coming at him walking down a gravel road, he knows it, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like you said. Yeah, that's one thing we try to uh, change, and we're going to definitely do this season, is not use these gravel roads and these gated roads to access some of these areas. We're going to start trying to go through some of these bottoms or some of these uh, side ridges that we know, you know, birds aren't necessarily roosting on to access. Because, you know, when you're hunting a bunch of pines, you can, you can sneak through there pretty quietly as long as you don't step on a branch uh, just yeah. because of the pine straw. Um, so we're definitely going to use that to our advantage this year and not really try to get on those roads because I, I mean to be honest you don't think you're you're that loud on those gravel roads but yesterday we went out try to roost to some birds and weren't able to get on any but uh we were walking down on those gravel roads and it was unreal because to me there's a difference between like hunting quiet for deer and hunting for turkeys because for deer i wouldn't stress that much about walking down on those roads if i'm kind of you know sneaking along but for turkeys i pick up on that so well of just that gravel just kind of like this it makes like the slightest little like pop 
when you're just like walking across it and it drove me crazy i'm like man we gotta start walking through the grass we can't do this anymore uh so that's something we're definitely going to change well you got to stop thinking a turkey is is uh as far as a stress level they're way past what a deer's worried about Mm -hmm. maybe a maybe a a fawn i don't want a fawn in july when they just hit the ground or are tuned at that level but a turkey not only has to has to stay away from bobcats and coyotes and whatever else. He also has predators from the air, you know, any kind of hawk or eagle, stuff like that. So they're, the level that they're dialed in is a few notches above a deer, and that's the way you should approach it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I definitely think that that is the case. And a lot of guys, you know, if you're hunting a good piece of private ground, you can, I'm not going to say you can get away, you might be able to get away with it, you know, not being so, um, like I say, uptight, but, you know, not so careful. I don't know. As long as you're somewhat quiet, I think you can get away with it. But on public land when, or just on any kind of pressured property, uh, you know, you have to be so smart on entrance and exit routes and how you get on birds just so they don't hear you. Because, again, we saw that as a huge flaw for a lot of guys last year and even ourselves, especially early in the season because we didn't pay attention to that until later in the season. But as another topic I'd like to talk to you about is, you know, since you do take so many guys hunting, what is a common mistake that you see those guys making, uh, whether it's a daily basis or something every now and then they make, and what's a way they can fix it? Well, it just, you know, if you go with it, you got to put that in levels. I've never been turkey hunting, or I've been turkey hunting for three years, or I'm a big-time turkey hunter. It's very odd when you go with somebody that's a big-time turkey hunter. It's a little awkward. Uh, and I've been with some of the best. I could I could ride to you off the list. You wouldn't believe some of the people I've been with. You know, whoever. Eddie Salter, Kerry Rome, Ben Rogers Lee, people that young kids have never even heard of. <laughs> uh, Will Primo's Toxic. I've been with all those people. And I learned stuff from all of them. And, and there's different techniques that all of them use. But, you know, that, that easing in the woods and being, I think people are just normally too loud even when they're whispering, you know, like when you're setting up and if there's two of you there, I mean, of course, a lot of my turkey hunting is centered around videos for many, many years. There's always a, I'm either the guy with the camera or talking to the camera or something like that. I think one of the mistakes that people make is they're just not cautious enough for how much racket they're making. Well, it's, and that depends on the weather conditions and where you are. If it's a, you know, rain the day before and you're a pine thicket, well, heck, you can try it. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to hear you. Uh, you know, if you're in the leafy forest and it hadn't rained in a week, then you got issues. You got to kind of stop and think, what am I going to do? I ain't no way I can get up in there. So I think one of the one of the mistakes they make is they're too noisy, to, to be honest with you. I think another mistake that so many, even good turkey hunters make, and this is, again, my opinion, I'm not a biologist. I think they walk by most or a lot of the unhuntable. Uh, un, uh, they, they walk by a lot of huntable turkeys that they didn't know were in the area, and that goes back to locating. You know, mid morning. You know, you got your butt kicked. You're a little humble. The turkeys went on okay. Well, then you know you always have the lull. I don't care. I don't care if you're in uh, Nebraska or New Jersey. There's always a lull right after the turkeys fly down. And that's because they're doing their thing. So I don't get too fired up about trying to locate after they've flown down and they've gotten quiet. And so I just kind of go to my happy place and let it 
chill out for an hour, hour and a half, something like that. But when that nine o'clock hour starts rolling around nine thirty to eleven o'clock, I'm gonna be on the move then. And here's the routine how most people locate. I ain't saying anything's wrong. People people kill turkeys like crazy, but I'm just telling you what's worked for me. Because in many cases, like early on with that giant TV camera, I was getting paid for turkey encounters. So I had to encounter turkeys. But <laughs> I, here's how people locate 90% of the time. They'll go to a spot and they'll, they'll for most of that early morning, they're going to be owl hooting, even if it's 9 o'clock. I don't hear a ton of owls at 9 o'clock, but hey, that's just me. Uh, they'll crow call. At some point, they may do a duck or a goose or something they're trying to get that turkey to gobble at something other than a turkey sound which makes perfect sense mm-hmm. if you get him to gobble and he you aren't yelping then he ain't thinking you're a turkey that's all fine that's fine but at some point that person's going to end up with uh well i'm gonna go ahead and kind of yelp easy and they yep kind of easy, and then they yep a little loud. But at some point, they're going to end up with whatever their favorite locator is. It may be a paddle box that's two and a half feet long. It may be a slate with an aluminum face on it that will just shatter glass. But they're going to start at this point, but they're going to always end up at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my thinking on that. My thinking on that is turkeys are out there they they flown down they're all flocking even though they may not be tight together as the season wears on they're still easing around scratching in leaves and guess what they're listening to easy hen yelps an occasional clucking purr they're either they hear the crows and to me it's like he, the gobbler's got a rubber band and as time goes on that rubber band gets tighter and tighter well the term shock gobble is they say that for a reason you're wanting to shock him and the goblin, so you'll know he's there. So my, my deal is, I'm hitting him first with my best thing. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know he's there with an owl hoot or something, but I think the more you sit there, you owl, and then you crow, and then you yep light, and then you yep on the butt. I think you're just kind of unwinding that rubber band a little bit, whereas I walk up there with that tube call, I hit him with two or three notes. Bam, bam, bam. Boom, you know. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I get way more responses with that ever than I do when I'm hunting with someone letting them do their own thing and usually when I'm with a great turkey hunter I let them do their own thing and I'll 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 leave in there going I should have cut on my tube call right there now that doesn't mean the turkey's gonna come running in about 90% of the time unless he answers you two times or three times he ain't coming in but guess what I knew I found him I can go over there. My patience meter goes way up once I hear one gobble and I knew he was round, tucked back up in that pasture. I can go there and be still and quiet for a long time. But I'm not going to go to that spot and sit over there where there's a clover field for three hours. Ain't happening. That's how I have to deer hunt. I ain't doing it for turkey. So the, the, the locating's a big, big deal. It's a state of mind, and everybody will argue that point. I've seen it happen a million times, but that's exactly what works for me. Well, that's another thing I'd like to transition to is just you and your passion for using a tube call because that's, to me, I feel that it's something that's not necessarily super common. Uh, I've always wanted to use one, never had the opportunity to use one or anything yet, uh, but definitely maybe like to put that in Arsenal for this year. But just tell our listeners a little bit about you know, what made you pick up a tube call? Why use the tube call and the advantages of it? 
Well, the, the first, of course, I saw they used to make a, uh, the Morgan snuff can looking call, the Morgan caller, they called it. I saw those because I'm, I'm from Natchez, Mississippi, which is down there close to Liberty, where Lynch and Alan Morgan, all those guys were. And I was, way back in those days, I was struggling to try to figure out how to use a mouth call. I wanted to use a mouth call because I could run a slate really good and I had a box and I could kill a turkey, but I wanted to use that mouth call to get my hands free. Mm-hmm. But I saw Will Primos with that his snuff can around his thing, and he took the time to explain to me kind of how he used it. And to be honest with you, I just, I just thought it looked cool. I was like, nobody uses that. And I'm telling you, they ain't, not only are they not super common, they are very rare for people that actually care to use them. You'll still have the occasional guy that can take one and fuck on or something like that. But I found out real quick, I could generate a whole lot of volume with that thing and cut through the wind, cut through those leaves and all that kind of stuff. And it was a great locator, which is what I use it for 99% of the time. Once I found the turkey, then it stays around my neck or I ease it back in my pocket. I don't touch it anymore, but, uh, that's that's the only reason I use it. And there's great. There's people can use them. You'll see them gobbling on them and doing this. I can pretty much do everything on mine. I can do a great coyote yelp when I'm hunting out in Texas or way out west because they don't have barred owls. Or I can do a really good goose on it, stuff like that. But my whole idea is to locate a turkey far enough away to where I can ease up, find me a really great place to sit down where I'm hidden preferably in the shade got a little back cover and then i can go to hunting at that point but you know having a favorite locator is a big deal and it's just it's just as far as the locator that one is just flawless it doesn't matter if it's a misty rain it doesn't matter how humidity is you know humidity affects calls in a big big way Mm -hmm. there's days when mouth calls you can't hear them 50 yards there's days when you know friction calls just ain't going to work much high humidity all that kind of stuff and that tube call cuts through all that now on those days when turkeys aren't gobbling it don't matter what you do you can blow an air horn you can do whatever you want to do and it's not going to change mother nature but day in and day out something that's really loud will make a turkey gobble i think way better right out of the gate spill your candy in the lobby so to speak instead of going through the whole routine and that's controversial that's okay I'm, again that's what works for me is that too called that high pitch pop pop two or three cuts and let it echo and let them they, they just they seem to respond to that better than anything well that's that gets me really excited to try one out for sure just because of that i mean that reason i mean it's something different uh you know, whether a guy, a lot of guys are using it or not, and I'm telling you they're not because I've ran into a lot of guys locally, and I think I've only seen one guy last turkey season. I, I go to a lot of events and stuff, and only one guy would carry a um, a two-call. So I, I think that would work really, really well uh, just as something different in the arsenal to really try to locate those birds, especially like that mid-morning time uh, to, you know, afternoon, just to have something different that can really carry volume really well and like you said, not go through the whole arsenal because I catch myself still doing that, you know, starting with the owl hooting stick and then, you know, working your way up through, you know, a slate call, mouth call, and all the way to like, you know, a box call and just trying to rip on a box call or something like that. 
And like you said, I think it does unwind that turkey to the point. I mean, because he's hearing all these sounds. And another thing is he's hearing all these sounds from the same direction. Like they're just sitting there. And I think a bird will pick up on that. And it's like, mm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to really respond to that. Cause that's kind of awkward. I don't see they're probably, you know, I don't know how smart a turkey is and they're not, you know, overly smart, but their survival skills are unreal and unmatched and hearing all that uh, ruckus and stuff coming from one area for an extended period of time, I'm sure turns him off to the point where like, he's like, I'm not bothering with that. Uh, yeah. So I think definitely, you know, just going hard the first couple of times, you know, with a tube call, I think would help out a ton with locating some of those mid morning and uh, afternoon birds. Well, it's a, like I say, it's a controversial thing. One of the first times I ever saw a hen cut is back when I was filming. I had that gigantic camera that we had a TV camera for primos and, saw these five or six hens cutting across this pasture where it kind of dipped out in the woods and I was just watching them and the lead hen got up to kind of where the trees came back out into the pasture and I was watching her through them you know those fine $29 binoculars I had <laughs> it, but, it, but anyway she jumped up in the air and cut bah, bah, bah. wow turkey gobble way back in the woods well what she was cutting at and she rounded that corner. It looked like to me from that far away as a snake, a black snake. It kind of rolled up. Didn't really strike at her, but it it, it, it kind of startled her. Mm-hmm. And, it, and as she jumped up in there, she cut. And that's what made that turkey back in the woods gobble. I'm like, wow, how cool was that? I'm going to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was, as, it was as loud a turkey sound as they ever heard. I, I think a lot of times people feel like, and I've had it happen to me. I went with a guy one time, I'm not going to tell you who it was, huge call manufacturer, big time. Went to his place, and when we got there that night, he's talking about how patient he is and all this. And he didn't want me calling and all that. I said, that's cool. I had all that TV stuff I was going to film. And he literally, the next morning, asked me, he said, would you mind leaving your calls here? I went, sure. So I loaded everything out of my vest, took my gloves, my head net, whatever I had, ball of water. And we went to a blind out on this big, beautiful pasture, rolling cattle kind of thing, gorgeous place. And he had a blind pulled up there. He'd built with, you know, six, eight-inch diameter limbs. and all. I mean, you could have lived in this blind for a month. It was crazy. And we heard five or six turkeys I actually had two walk-bys at about 100 yards kind of going towards some hands were and he would cluck lightly on this box call and about 11 o'clock we walked back to the trailer and it was like well that's it and to him that was a turkey hunt he didn't spook anything and all that kind of stuff and it was like to me it was like really i couldn't i couldn't wait to get out of there i was like that was no fun at all you know so everybody has their own idea of turkey hunting as long as you're doing it hey me and you're on the same team Mm-hmm. But but I, I I prefer especially going to different places. I don't care if it's public ground or not. I want to give my best shot at an encounter at some point. Well, with that being said, uh, I you know definitely have experience hunting like that before with different individuals where that was their go to is just you know sit on a big field and just wait for some birds to come out whether or not they use decoys and not really call. But with that being said, is uh, decoy is something that you rely on at all, or do you like to go with a no decoy set? No, I don't. You know, I don't care one. <clears throat> I'll carry one if I got like the opening youth day with uh, my six year old grandson. I'm a, I've got a Jake decoy that's like real. It's like a taxidermy Jake, mm-hmm. and it's and it's not in strut. It's just a Jake, 
And I'll, I've, I've had more luck with that with kids or somebody that's never hunted or maybe a wounded soldier. It takes us a minute to get that gun in the right place. I, I'll take a decoy for that because to, to me, the decoys, are they're, they're all or nothing. They either work fabulously or the turkeys don't pay any attention to them and run the other way. The Jake decoy for me has worked really good for them little kids. But as far as if I'm going turkey hunting, I'm, I'm not caring anything like that it's just too much uh they work great they can have a, a super effect and they're getting better and better and better it's just i prefer to trick them mm-hmm. fair and square I, I prefer to have me a place to, I, I, i'd rather pick a perfect spot to set up to where he's got to get in gun range at some point he can't stand it mm-hmm. and that's just the selfish part of how i like to hunt but the decoys are awesome. I've seen them work time and time again. It's just not something I'm going to, I'm going to carry around with me. Well, on that note, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, I guess growing up in, you know, I guess in the South, but anywhere, you know, you kind of, I think you're kind of fed that you have to use decoys to be successful. And that was my logic for the last couple of years and never had really any luck with decoys. Uh, just because with, if you're hunting thick timber, you can't use decoys without putting them pretty much in your lap. Because if you're firing the shots 30 yards, I mean, you, you really don't need a decoy to get that bird in there because by the time he tries to look for where that hen's coming from, I mean, you're shooting him in the face. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of my logic of it. And that's something I'm going to try more this year is not use a decoy. Uh, and also it's going to lighten up your load. I mean, some of these decoys, I mean, I used to use a good old foam decoy from, I don't know who made it. And it worked all right, but like these guys are using these heavier like rubber decoys that look really realistic, but they are heavy, man. And when you're walking down on public land or just you know just covering a lot of ground uh, on your feet, uh, boots on the ground, I mean that could kind of weigh on you after a little while if you're trying to cover some you know decent amount of ground. Is just having those decoys in your back. And I know guys that hunt public land that carry a full uh, set, two hens and a Jake on the public land and there's those rubberized decoys and they are heavy. I don't know how he does it, but he swears by them. But that's something that, you know, I could definitely see leaving at the truck and not seeing it as a necessity, uh, you know, especially on where you're hunting. But, uh, I mean, with that, I mean, what is your go-to or what is, okay. What is your thought on the difficult of, you know, the different subspecies of, uh, turkeys and what's, you know, probably like one of the harder ones to kill. Cause personally, this is just from my experience. I feel an Easter is a pretty hard bird to kill. Um, uh, you know, I've had guys tell me Rio's or, you know, quote unquote, what they're going to call dumb birds. And they're, they're fun to get on because they're just over energetic and Osceola's can be a mix of both. I mean, what's been your experience with some of these different turkeys and how they react? Uh, well, you know, you, the, the Rio's and the Miriam's are, uh, they're, they're not dumb. They just, they have way less hunting pressure on them. I got two places I go to in Texas. I've been going to since the early eighties. And it's just at this point, after that many years, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just like hunting Easterns. They, they have wised up. There's really good turkey hunters been through there every year, guiding customers and stuff. And it's, there's still lots of turkeys, but it's way difficult. The Easterns and the Osceolas to me are almost identical. The reason the Osceola is so hard to kill is a geographic thing. It's getting to be less and less areas that are open you can go. So if you're trying to get your slam, your grand slam, your Florida turkey is going to be the hardest one. But, you know, the Florida turkey may be, depending on if you're hunting true 
true Osceola turkeys in those swamps, they could be notorious for not gobbling hardly any. Uh, that makes them, to me, that would make them the hardest one because uh, they have panthers and bob. They have everything down there, more predators by air. They have everything. So if you go on a true public land Osceola hunt, to me, that's the hardest one. I mean, the, you know, Easterns can be extremely difficult. I mean, but there's there's different kinds. There's Easterns on public land in Mississippi and Alabama, and then there's Easterns who... Uh, who, like Tom Kelly says, live behind locked gates and don't have prying eyes from rednecks and camel hats <laughs> looking at them all the time. Oh, yeah. There's, dif- there's different levels of Easterns as well. But to me, year in and year out, the OCL is the hardest one to get. Okay. Well, that's, you know, I've heard that too from a, a couple of our buddies that hunt Osceola's, you know, relatively often, is that, especially on public land, they don't gobble. They're real quiet. And it's one of those things that, you know, if you can get close to them and just, you know, call super softly, and it's more of a waiting game trying to get those to come into you. But with that being said, what's one of your favorite birds just to go after? I mean, if you had to pick any of the four, uh, you know, what's something that you'd love to go after? Well, that, again, that's that's a, that's a there's no absolute question. If I got somebody with me mm-hmm. that has got to kill a turkey, I, I would probably rather take them to like Nebraska or Texas, somewhere like that, where I can. I can, uh, you know, really stay in turkeys and really explain because you're going to hear some. Uh, always fun to go out west. You know, when you get into that true Miriam country in South Dakota, New Mexico and all that, it's if you can get them down in elevation where you ain't got to hunt them at 8,000 feet, it's it's pretty picturesque. I mean, it's that's awesome out there. Now, as far as looking and hearing them, the gobble's not the same, you know, it's a barnyard kind of gobble versus, you know, they those turkeys out there, they blah, 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 blah. it's <laughs> kind of like a barnyard turkey. Mm-hmm. And you get you get in Missouri and Iowa places like that, even the, in the Easterns, they sound like they have a turbocharger on their, their chest and they're screaming at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, me personally, if I had like one, if I had one turkey hunt left, I, I'm going somewhere close to home where I can, you know, try to trick one down here you know that's been messed with and all that it's just so much fun to me but i very rarely do i bring a guest in to where if i get one day to hunt i very seldom would take them where i'm going because it would just probably be a miserable walk for them because mm-hmm. it could possibly be a miserable walk for me you know but uh if you just want somebody to kill turkeys you get out there and my favorite place to go to is probably uh, out there in central Nebraska with Jim Kinn. He runs the roost, but he's got so much dirt out there, and it's like some Miriams and some Rios you never know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just that's fun to take somebody if you're wanting to get them hooked. Uh, if you want to get somebody hooked on turkey hunting, you know, the, the bottom down below my house between there and the canal, that ain't where they want to go. So. <laughs> It's, it's it can be really tough. So, but me personally, if I had me personally, if I had one guy left, if I had one day left to hunt or something like that, I'm going after an eastern close to home. Okay, and that's another thing that you know you just kind of talking about Nebraska and everything uh, that me and Andrew are really looking at, and I know a lot of other guys and a lot of our listeners are looking at the same that you know they want to hunt and do an out of state hunt. They want to go for some turkeys, but they don't know where they want to go, how they want to do it. 
I mean, is there any certain states or anything like that that you would possibly recommend over others just for the opportunity itself and just the experience? Yeah, if it's me, if it's me and I'm and I get I get I hear this all the time, like, well you get to hunt all these great places and all that. If it's me, I'm gonna find some public ground in Nebraska. I can drive to Nebraska from Mississippi in about nine hours. Mm-hmm. And there's pl- and there's places in Nebraska, number one, there ain't a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. And number number two, they got lots of public land. They don't talk about it a lot. And they have Rios and Miriams. If you want to go on a cool turkey hunt, you can do it. I took the CEO of Browning out there. We kept, we got we had, we went on a public spot out there. We were finding turkeys left. The second place I stopped, I found a turkey. It's they're available. Some people would rather complain than try to, uh, you know, actually put the hunt together and go do it themselves. Uh, the coolest deer hunt I went on in the last ten years was in North Dakota, all public land found every spot I wanted to look at on the internet. I had the best website ever. I went to North Dakota, started finding all these little WMAs, and you could zoom down and get to the satellite view, and here's cropland, and there's the WMA. And I found about six or seven places I wanted to go look. Got out there. The second place I stopped, I said, this is it. Man, I was seeing 20 deer a day. So there's there's places you can go nebraska's a kind of a good start because there's not a lot of public ground if any in texas you know there's a little public ground in kansas everybody goes to kansas mm-hmm. to hunt turkey so I'd, I'd look at nebraska and start pulling up options i'd have me six or seven spots before i headed that way but that's that's probably where i'd go well you definitely confirmed with uh what we were thinking it was nebraska itself uh, yeah. you, you definitely confirm that because we've talked to quite a few individuals that's gone out there looking to go out there and they're all saying the same thing. They're like that's, that's kind of almost like a, a sleeper state when it comes to turkeys themselves and the opportunity, uh, is so high out there. It's a great place. And it's like I say, there's not, the key is, I don't know what it is about that area, about that terrain. Uh, and when you get out there in places in Nebraska, you think, Oh my gosh, there's not a Turkey in the world. A lot of sand hills and stuff like that. But, they roost in them giant cottonwoods on them little homesteads and stuff. They're everywhere out there. You just got to do a little homework. You know, if you, you you want it to happen, it'll happen. There's no question about it. But that, as far as leaving here driving and I'm going on a public hunt and I want it to be an adventure, I, I'd probably go to Nebraska. So. Well, that's that's exciting. I mean, that's exactly what I was really looking for hearing. I mean, I was going yeah. to say you probably – my idea was probably going to say Kansas, North, or South Dakota, or Nebraska. And I'm glad you said Nebraska because uh, that's what we're thinking. Again, guys, I mean, any of the listeners out there, Nebraska is not that far, to be honest. A lot of guys think going out west is so tough. I mean, if you can make, you know, get off about four days, get off a weekend in two days, you could go up there and, you know, get a good two and a half days of hunting in pretty easily. Uh, me yeah. and Andrew just got back in October from Wyoming. We drove to Wyoming, uh, Cody, Wyoming, to be exact, northwest corner. Uh, for a mule deer hunt DIY public land and had a blast both of us were able to harvest a deer on the fourth day and I mean it was a long drive it was 27 hours but we did it in a full 30 hours driving straight through it and I mean it's 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 tough I mean we're, we're younger guys so we were able to kind of make it through but I mean it's tough but it is definitely worth the experience and the little bit of money a lot of guys think that the logistics are way too high to me it's more about the time if you can make the time for it you can make it happen yeah, a lot of people give up before they even try that. I've I've done it so many times; it's just crazy. But I, you know, I would never let you know, you know, work and stuff like that get in the way of a great turkey hunt. It's just it's just a mindset. 
And uh, I, here's here's the good news. And I, I hope I don't offend anybody, but if you if you were born and raised hunting turkeys in Alabama, Mississippi places like that, and you can kill a turkey down here, you can kill them all out there. Mm-hmm. It's you're, you'll have a skill level out there that's not going to take you long. The problem's going to be just locating them. And you know the good thing about there, you do have to switch tactics a little bit because a lot of it's a visual. You know, you, you'll spot them 99 times out of 100 before you hear them because the wind's always blowing and stuff. But guess what? You go around and get in front of them, get you something loud, they come into it. They, they certainly react to the call. So you, you change your tactics a little bit out there. It's more visual than hearing. But golly, you just can't really have that much fun anywhere else. Well, I mean, again, I think a lot of guys will be able to take a lot out of that and just you know, whether they want to plan something real last minute right now, which, I mean, there's still plenty of time left. I mean, by the time this episode airs, you know, you'll still have almost a month out before their seasons open up there, and you'll be able, you know, if you can get off work, just make it happen. Uh, we're still trying to plan, me and Andrew, whether we want to go up to Nebraska or maybe North Carolina this year to hunt a little bit. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how that works out. But, I mean. Yeah, well, good luck to you. Well, th- thank you. Well, uh, on, on another note, uh, you know, just I would love to appreciate you just coming on to this episode. Uh, you know, thank you for uh, allowing us to reach out to you and make this happen. I know a lot of our listeners are going to get a ton of information off this podcast and this episode. But uh, with that being said, because uh, what's a good way for, you know, some of our listeners to stay connected with you and get connected with you? Well, it's kind of funny. You know, I'm, I'm one of the old guys who actually embraced social media. Thanks to my 11-year-old granddaughter who showed me how to do Instagram. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty funny. But anyway, yeah, she, she came and put Instagram on my phone. She said, I want you to follow me, which I did. I figured that out. She came back in a couple of weeks. She said, Pop, you're, you're kind of famous. I'm going to make you public. Well, all of a sudden, I got over like 30-something thousand people following me on Instagram, <laughs> which is cool because I love it. I love looking at the photos. I mean... I'd say 99% of the people that follow me are hardcore hunters, especially turkey hunters. So I got a, I got an Instagram, Cuz Strickland. I also have Facebook. I got into that kind of late, uh, but it's easier to put videos on Facebook. And it's, it's also, well, I had a Facebook account, Ronnie Strickland, which is my name, and it filled up. So now I have a fan page that you can go to. It's Cuz Strickland. I put videos there. I also do a little Twitter, but I don't do much hunting on there. That's kind of a political thing. But I also have a, a YouTube channel. My daughter, youngest daughter who works here, Lauren, who's a big-time turkey hunter, she talked me into doing that. And you go to Cuz411 at YouTube, and I, I post there. And what we're going to do this year is my, my turkey season starts March, I think it's the 4th or 5th, something like that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to surrender those SD cards to her every third day. And uh, so we're going to be about a week behind of what I've got going on. But it's going to be six, eight, nine-minute segments of where I'm at. I'm actually going to film everything. I think people like the behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, back when I started, if you got – when I was carrying – the gear I carried back in the day was so heavy. You you in your wildest dreams, you can't believe what I had to do. <laughs> the cam- The camera had tubes in it. It had a big cord that plugged into a recording deck that shot three-quarter-inch tapes that were about the size of a half a loaf of bread. They lasted 20 minutes. Everything had tubes and big batteries in it. I had a lead head on my tripod and wooden legs with a shotgun sling. I put that over my neck. So if you got any video at all, it was like 
nobody could believe it. Well, nowadays, people have gotten so good at filming that stuff, it's almost gotten them numb to that wonderful kill sequence, which to me is kind of nothing but the end of the adventure. I've always been a storyteller, so I try to shoot stuff that's... I always tell guys when I was training them here, I said, the best stuff always happens when you're not even got your camera turned on. Mm -hmm. The, The camaraderie, the funny comments, the stuff behind the scenes... So that's what Cuz 411 is about. It's just kind of following me and the older guy's perspective, to, which can be a young man's game. Now, I'm all for young turkey hunters. That's why I take every opportunity to spend as much time as I can with them because that's the next wave. Yeah, I probably right now, I can't hear as good as you. Certainly couldn't cover as much ground as you could. But I got a lot of knowledge that I could beat up and humbled and, you know, beat down over four or five decades of chasing them. And I'm kind of fired up about sharing it. And I learned through the insights on my Instagram with however many, you know, thousands I got following me that 88% of them are guys between the ages of 22 and 32, which I was fired up about. And then my daughter reminded me, she said, well, Pop, only young people use Instagram. I said, well... There's proof, but I want to do. I want to do everything I can to help them, to make them better, to make them more successful. I did a thing. The coolest video stuff out there right now, to me, is from uh, a guy named Robbie Kroger, and he's got a thing called Blood Origins. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but this guy right here to me is a genius. He uh, he said, "I'm starting this thing. I want to interview X amount of hunters." for this reason and he came to me and I had seen him done but a couple and I do interviews constantly it's kind of what I do now I don't mind talking I'm kind of geared for it he sat me down he handed me a picture before we started the interview and it was a picture of me when I was like two years old with my dad and my big brother my dad was in the army sitting on his knee well I got pretty torn up I've never seen that thing and the whole interview took a different turn he asked all these right questions and it has it turned out and i didn't know it at the time but it was all about me wanting to give back to people and it was like golly i would have never said that if somebody was just interviewing but that's a passion to me is to try to teach the next bunch that's coming along you know maybe some tips that'll help them this may not help you kill a turkey it may help you have more fun if it helps you act like a man or if it helps you get along with your family better, hey, that's a bonus, and that's kind of what I'm about. And I'm glad about that, and that's one reason I'm glad we were able to get you on for this episode is just because, you know, you definitely can see your passion for hunter recruitment uh, with all your videos and everything you do, and that's something that me and Andrew take to heart is hunter recruitment because we are losing so many hunters in this last decade, and who knows what's going to happen in the future that – you know, the more people we can get out in the woods and enjoy the outdoors, you know, the better off we're going to be as a, as this, a hunting community. And that's one reason we really wanted to start this podcast too, is to be able to bring knowledge from proven guys like yourself to relate to the average guy and even the younger guy too, or girl that's just interested in the outdoors as general. And that's why we're the Southern outdoorsmen is because we want to communicate with all the Southern outdoorsmen that, you know, hunting is a passion, but hunting is also conservation, and without conservation, we wouldn't have opportunities that we have like this today. And that's something that we take to heart uh, every day, uh, whether we're in the outdoors or you know, just talking to individuals like yourself. And that's something that 
to be honest, gets me fired up and really passionate about is just, you know, conservation in general. Because again, if you don't take care of what you have, you're going to lose it. Yeah. Well, look at it like this. I, you know, I do a lot of stuff. I'm on the board of QDMA. I love deer hunting. Always been a bow hunter. And that's turned into crossbows because of my grandsons. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're not big enough to pull a compound bow. And there was a time... If somebody said the word crossbow to me, I'd turn around and walk off because I'm like, Dad, you're not bow hunting. Well, now I'm all about it because to them six, eight, nine-year-old kids, they, they are bow hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're talking about blood trails and broadheads and fletchings and all that kind of stuff. So I'm whatever gets people fired up. The best guy to listen to about how to recruit people is, to me, is Ted Nugent. Mm-hmm. But the, the point being... Listen, look at it like this. If you and everybody, listen, if, if everybody that bought a hunting license this past fall took one person, and there's millions that want to go, if everybody took one person and was his mentor or her mentor, all of a sudden next year we doubled our numbers just basically overnight. Mm-hmm. People want, it's the perfect storm right now because of all these shows like Life Below Zero and Yukon Men and all that, they're killing caribou and field dressing them. And, and everybody wants to eat that valuable venison, that free-ranging, wonderful protein. And they want to know how to do it, but it's overwhelming to them. It ain't like golf. If you want to learn how to play golf, you can go to the country club and get a lesson. 30 minutes, 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. You're, off, you're off and running. You can't do that in hunting. you got to have somebody to kind of grab you by the hand and say, this is what you do. This is what you need. This is how you do it. All the way from field to plate. Because if you go at it from the food aspect of it, you'll recruit more people than anybody. Oh, and I 100% agree with that. I mean, that's one thing that I really wanted to focus on this year was, you know, get someone new into hunting. I was able to do that from a guy from work. Uh, a younger guy, younger than myself, and he really, you know, was he's a big outdoorsman when it comes to fishing, he, huge fisherman, but, like, he had a passion for just anything that had to do with outdoors, and he talked to me one day. He's like, man, I'd love to go hunting. I'm like, okay, let's get your hunting license. Let's, you know, get you through Hunter's Ed, and let's, let's get you in the woods. And I was able to do that, and he was absolutely addicted within the first hunt. And, again, now my version of hunting is a little bit more, uh, I guess, difficult than other guys. We do a lot of what we call running gun hunting for deer on public land. You know, we're packing in stands every time, hang up setups and stuff. But I did that with him, and he absolutely loved it. And he, what he loved was, and this is what I focus on, is not necessarily hunting and getting, you know, quote-unquote, the kill and this and that, but focus on woodsmanship. I mean, that's a lost art now, is especially with younger guys like myself and just the younger generation is woodsmanship. No one even pays attention to that anymore. It's all on your phone, this kind of this, this stuff and that stuff and this no one understands how to read maps. No one understands how to uh, tell directions. No one understands, you know, the way animals use topography and the terrain and features. And that's one thing I really wanted to relate with him about was like topography and how deer use certain terrain features uh, and how they work edges and this and that. And it got him more fired up because he thought we were just going to go out there and shoot a deer. And he was like happy about it. Like he was like, okay, that's cool. But the more and more we talked about, you know, the reason why animals work certain ways and do certain things that actually got him more excited than actually trying to kill a deer. And uh, that's one thing I think we need to relate with just, you know, everyone in the hunting industry is not focus so much about getting people hooked on, you know, harvesting an animal, but also what it takes to get to that point and learn and how to be effective in the woods. I think that's a huge part of hunter recruitment. I think a lot of people really pay attention to that when the opportunity arises and they really, that's really what catches their eye 
is how to be more effective and really understand how the woods work as a general whole and understand the whole ecosystem. And also just, again, you know, how hunting is conservation. I mean, without you buying hunting licenses and this and that, we don't put money back into, you know, just, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, applying money for the game warrants to be able to, uh, you know, watch our lands and make sure everyone's in the right and just different organizations that really help with habitat management. I mean, without funding, you know, we can't have that happen. And that's something that, again, I'm passionate about. And I love to hear that's your, that's what you're doing right now, especially with, you know, your grandkids or your grandsons is get them really addicted at a young age, because I think that's huge. I mean, I think it's great for anyone to get into hunting, no matter when they do it, whether, you know, you're 25, 26 years old, or if you're seven years old, I think it's great opportunity and really it can connect with anyone, anywhere, uh, just that passion for the outdoors. Yeah. I I always refer back to my friend Gene Winslow. You, you guys may not even know who Gene and Barry Winslow is. They're a few years older than me, great recurve guys, traditional. I, I, I just followed them my whole life. But, but one of the best interviews I ever sat down and filmed was Gene Winslow. And I still use quotes on that, but he went off and he was talking about hunting and he said he gets a he said he gets aggravated when he hear people hears people call it a sport. He said it's not a sport. He said, baseball, football, basketball. He said, those are sports. He said, hunting is an instinct. He said, it's in all of us, just like breathing and eating and drinking water. It's something that's the hunting gathering thing is in us from our DNA. Mm-hmm. And pe- people want to unlock that. And no better way to do it than to hook up with another hunter. So, you know, my advice to everybody is to find somebody and, you know, pass it on one person at a time. That sounds like a, a tough road to hoe but you know if everybody did that we'd be better off and that that is the future if you look just at numbers of hunting license sales people hunting and all it gets a little depressing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you got to focus on something more than that say hey i'm just one person but i can change that one at a time yeah it's really just about being focused and another thing is i think guys or women in general too just they think they don't want to take someone hunting because they're not the best of the best and that's so not true you don't have to be the best of the best as long as you are a capable outdoorsman or outdoorswoman and just have a passion for it just relate that to a new person and get them active in it i mean you don't have to be a quote-unquote professional or you know anything like that i mean as long as you just have a passion for it just relate that passion with someone new and it will help you know our culture grow uh to the point where hopefully you know we don't have these down years like we've been having the last five and seven years with you know losing over two million uh, hunters nationwide, I mean that's that is a sad statistic to see, and I'm really hope we can get that turned around in the next ten years. Yeah, yeah, I fight that constantly, and I tell people all the time, and this offends some people, but there in this country there is no such thing as a professional hunter, and I see bios all the time of this guy or this guy, whoever, and they list themselves as a professional hunter. That's not true, you know that if those people are all getting paid to video for television, a hunting show. Mm-hmm. If that ca- if that camera goes away and the sponsors go away, nobody's paying you to go hunting. So there is no such thing as a professional hunter in this country as far as I'm concerned. Now, they have some in New Zealand where they actually have to go reduce the deer herds and stuff like that. And there's some in Africa, but... There is no such thing as a professional hunter over here. We're just hunters. There's some that have more experience than others. And I said this 30-something-plus years ago, and I've heard it, you know, 
in different ways. But a hunter, the, the, a proper hunter goes through four stages. The first stage is, hey, man, I just want to get one of those. And it may be a duck or a turkey or a whitetail. The second stage is, man, I'm getting better at this. I'm going to kill as many as I can cram in the back of my pickup truck. I am the man. The third stage is you want to get the biggest or the best gigantic, whatever it is, ever. You want that world record whitetail, elk, sheep, whatever it is. Well, the fourth stage, you kind of turn into that teacher. So, you know what? I've done this my whole career. I'm ready to pass this on. And the more people that get to stage four, the better off we'll be. Uh, and I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that's one thing I think I've noticed that in the last couple of years, especially with my just passion for deer hunting, because uh, that's where I stand out a little bit better than, you know, deer hunting or than uh, turkey hunting. But, you know, I've gotten to the point, I mean, still being a younger guy, just I love the opportunity to teach anybody anything I can about, you know, just the outdoors. I mean, and I don't tell them, I don't tell anyone I'm the best of the best or anything like that. Because I'll say that on the podcast, you know, I'm not the best by no means, but I can definitely you know, have a passion for helping other guys out and, you know, kids and women, just anyone that has a question about anything, I'd love to help them with that. And that's one thing that I would like to relate with a lot of guys my age is just, you know, you being a younger individual, you can still go out there and teach someone something new or just show them, you know, the way you do things and just to get people interested in it. I mean, the more people I think that we can relate to and relate with, the better off we're going to be as a, as a country in general. And that's one thing that I think we've lost as a country is just, you know, everyone's all about me, 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 and no one wants to go out and help anyone else anymore. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, like I say, if you just look at the numbers, it's pretty depressing, but I just got back from the NWTF. And one of the cool things about that, that convention up there is just, it's many kids in there and girls as it is, guys my age who have been turkey hunting their whole life so you know what we got to do is is make sure we have the right people to watch out you're talking about the perk right now is the perfect storm politically with our secretary of the interior our president of the united states some of the governors we have so contra the the secretary of ag all those people are hunters conservationists who understand that Hey, I tell people all the time, if you're really concerned about public land, wildlife habitat, and animals, just buy a hunting license. Mm -hmm. That's that's where all the money comes from. So the more people we can do that, we can convince to do that, the better off we are. Yes, sir. And I, I, again, couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, that is exactly what our passion is, uh, me and Andrew being said. um, You know, our passion is, you know, protecting public lands. And the access for guys, you know, wanting to use that public land. Because, again, if you are if you pay taxes in this country, you own public land. I mean, that is a part of our ownership as citizens. And that's something that I'd love for people to use, you know, day in and day out, that opportunity. And, again, just being an outdoorsman in general, you know, public land offers so many uh, resources for you uh, to be able to go out there and experience stuff that, you know, you don't have to own, you know, a couple hundred acres or you have to lease a couple hundred acres for a couple thousand dollars. Uh, you can go out and use public land, and that's one thing that we relate with a lot of our listeners that, you know, you can be extremely successful on public land, and I think you grow actually faster as an individual and a hunter hunting public land, or at least cutting your teeth on it because of the adversities you have to overcome. Yep. Uh, yeah, I fight with the struggle of, of my grandsons. I, I work constantly now on my farm to set things up where they can be successful, and at some point, 
you know, I, they all killed the, the first two, killed their first deer with a crossbow when they were five. And I was like, man, I'm going to spoil these kids. But you know what? <laughs> I'm going to continue to do that until it's time to show them a different route. And I'll probably will take them on some public land just for their appreciation. But the main thing is get them, get them recruited, get them in there, show them how to have fun. Uh, you know, don't be uh, a Johnny know-it-all. I always tell people when I take them turkey hunting, it'll happen this year. Dozens and dozens of times when I first meet somebody and they'll they'll be introduced, you're going with cuz this morning, I'm going to say, look, we're going to have a great day. Do you want me to teach along the way or do you just want to kill a turkey? And without question, 100% of them will say, oh, no, 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 I'm here to learn. Mm-hmm. So you got to get out of that hunter instinct and get into that teacher's instinct and show them stuff. Show them those spider webs, show them the difference in the hen and a gobbler track. Just show them everything. Look at that's where a bobcat crossed the thing. People are fascinated with that stuff, and uh, we're kind of the keepers of the brand. So especially you young guys, you need to you need to throw that on your shoulders and run with it. Well, for sure. And again, I think that's a great place for us to stop with this, uh, this episode just because I think we finished off on a really high note that is really hopefully going to have a lot more people aware of the situation going on right now. Uh, with just, you know, when it comes to our public lands and also just hunter recruitment in general and how we do need to be stewards of this earth and, you know, be stewards of, you know, the resources we have. So, again, with that being said, uh, cuz, you know, I appreciate you coming on and having a great time with us. I really enjoyed this uh, episode and interviewing you, and I look forward to maybe being able to do this again in the future, uh, maybe catch up on you and see how uh, your turkey season's going. Hey, my pleasure. I, I, I get very excited with young guys like you. Again, I'll be more than happy to help you with the strut report so keep me posted let me know what i can do to help you guys all right well thank you sir and there you have it our interview with mr cuz strickland like i said i hated i had to miss out on this one but man i enjoyed listening to it a big shout out to cuz man we can't thank you enough for coming on and supporting us uh make sure y'all support cuz in any way you can you know like i have talked about before he's a great person in the hunting industry to look up to so, you know, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, whatever you got. You won't be disappointed with what he puts out. You know, I always enjoy seeing his posts. So, uh, and don't forget about the giveaway that we're doing. So, like we said, we're going to make a post on the day that this drops. And uh, it'll be on Facebook and Instagram. And all you got to do is like that post, share that post, and like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. Once you do those three things, then you're entered in for the drawing, which will go until Saturday, and we'll pick three winners and announce it on next week's show. So good luck to everybody putting into that, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.